Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who calls us to know you and uh, personally invites us to join you. And I pray, God, that as we dig into your word again, as we explore you once again, may your spirit guide and lead us to see you and to, to be challenged to know you more fully. It's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So today, believe it or not, is the last week of our series called Explore God, where we've been looking at seven big questions about God, life, meaning, and purpose. And and today, we finish the series with this question. Can I know God personally? And so I want to begin by describing something to you and see if you can imagine what I'm describing. If you know what it is, hold on and wait till I'm done with the statement. See if you know it. The bases are loaded with Bryce up to bat. He's looking to break his way out, and he has got a chance to do so with the bases loaded. One thing he's never done before is hit a grand slam. The kick, the pitch, swinging a long drive way, way back to right field. It's a grand slam. He touches them all. What am I describing? Does anybody know? What? Well, it's not a Cubs game, somebody says up front here. Yeah, but it is a baseball game, all right? Very good, all right? I mean, man, if you're not going to get that one, we're in big trouble, all right? So here we go. Let's try this one. Um, Let's see if you can imagine this. Last power play over will be bowled by Smith. First ball, James tries to cut the ball, no run. Second ball, cuts the ball through the point, takes a single. Third ball, plays it defensively and no run. Fourth ball, whips the ball on the outside, takes a single. Fifth ball, he taps the ball straight to the mid-on fielder and takes a single. Sixth ball, plays it straight to the deep mid-on, takes a single. India are 196 for five. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Yeah, what is it? It is cricket. Very good, all right? Yeah. Does anybody have no idea what I was just saying there? All right, very true. Isn't this interesting? By the language that we use, we can imagine some things to be. If we've experienced it, if we know the language, if we understand the culture around it, we can know what is being described. And if we are on the other side of that and we have no idea what you're talking about, you're just sitting there lost with what in the world is a mid-on and how is India 196 to 5? I don't even know what that means. And this guy, Leslie Newbigin, he uh, uses this phrase called plausibility structures. He's describing this very thing. 
He says that it is the lens through which we see the world. We all as human beings perceive reality through the lens of our language, our culture, our history, our politics, our economic theories, religion, and military. We view life through a lens that we have been taught, that we have experienced, and that others have shown us in our time. And what this means is that we as people will view life in very different ways. Depending on where we grew up, depending on the environments that we come from, we will experience life in unique and new ways. For example, for some of us on this side, we would be able to visualize a baseball game happening but have no idea what a cricket match looks like. And, and this is so important because as people, we lean to plausibility structures when it comes to knowing who God is. You understand this? We have plausibility structures when it comes to how we view God and who he is. And sometimes the metaphors that even the Bible uses can be so helpful for us, and other times it can seem to be so distant and harmful. Maybe you've heard the phrase before that, that God is a father. And that's a great metaphor if you grew up in a very structured home with a father who was present and there and with you. One who was willing to go and do what fathers should do. But if you grew up in a home that has a father who's absent and not present, the last thing I want to hear is God being a father. Or a friend, as the Bible describes Jesus to be to us, can be a good thing when we understand what friendship looks like in a healthy way or a spouse, or even a judge. The Bible would use these metaphors over and over again to help us better understand who God is. But we need to have a proper view, proper understanding, proper language to what that really looks like. Because today, how I view God affects my relationship with him. And that might seem controversial to say, but I want to point to you to a passage in Scripture where Jesus is screaming this very thing to his people. And it's not a matter of that I get to determine what God looks like, but it's a matter of knowing God more fully to see how he reveals and shows himself. To us. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus says this Today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's fascinating the context of what's happening here. Maybe you've heard the story of Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? He climbed up a sycamore tree 
to see that all he could see. And, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. To be a tax collector wasn't a very noble job during the time of Jesus. He is up in this tree and Jesus points to him and says, make me some food. Let me come to your house. Zacchaeus, while having this meal with Jesus, which was so controversial, the, the religious people were like, how could he eat with this kind of person? We see that Jesus begins to have these conversations with, with people like Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus in particular begins to repent. He begins to say that I've done things wrong. I need to do things right. And the words of Jesus to Zacchaeus are that salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Imagine this about God, that he comes not to seek and save the perfect and those who have life all together, but he comes to seek and save the lost. And it's in that understanding then that Jesus, to illustrate his point, tells a story. Not unique for Jesus. This is what he would typically do. He tells a parable. Beginning in verse 12, he says this. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. This is masterful. Jesus is uh, taking a cultural thing that would have happened all the time during that time. And I don't want to get lost in that, but essentially what's happening is this noble man goes away and he calls 10 of his servants and he gives them 10 minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. So what happens is you see this guy who is royalty. He leaves for a time, but before leaving, he calls 10 of his servants. He gives them one mina. You're like, what in the world is a mina? Well, it's 100 days wages. He gives them three months work, pay. And he gives them this instruction. Put this money to work. And we read, the story goes on, that the nobleman comes back, he receives this royalty, and we read that when he returned, verse 15, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So the first one comes forward and says, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. The first servant is called back to this nobleman and notice the words that he uses here. They're incredibly important. He says, Lord, your money made 10 more. And the response is, well done, good and faithful servant. You've gone and done what I have asked you to do. But 
oftentimes when we as Americans read this story, we oftentimes like look at this first servant and see him as this like great entrepreneur because we love those stories. We live in a world that, that loves the American dream that uplifts guys like Steve Jobs. And we know the story of how he started with a computer in a garage. Or, or Oprah, who worked her way up. Or, or Michael Jordan, my personal favorite, who was cut from the freshman basketball team. But that didn't hold him back. He kept going. I mean, you've probably seen the show before, Shark Tank, which is all about this very narrative inside of our culture. Someone who's starting new, who is going to make the wise moves, who picks themselves up by their bootstraps, and because of their hard work, devotion, and dedication, they have earned something more. But, but the hearers of this story that, that Jesus is telling wouldn't be thinking about America and this concept of building up something. They would hear it very differently. In fact, notice here, the, the second person comes forward and it says that, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, are you and you are to be over five cities. Once again, we see the servant coming forward and saying, Lord, your Mina brought five more. And I believe, and commentators would say this as well, that when we hear this story about Jesus, it's, it's really messy. Because we want to feel like it's because of our efforts, because I did everything perfectly, because I set things up and I stayed up late at night, because I prayed more, because I did all these things, that that is what will bring the blessing. But instead, we come to the third servant who comes forward. This is so fascinating. The third comes forward and says this, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. As you hear this story, notice the vast difference between the way that the first two servants viewed this master. The first two viewed him as one who has given them this incredible gift that will bring blessing to other people. Their view of this master is one who invites them in. And all they're called to do is be faithful to what good gift has been given to them. But the third comes forward and says, I know you to be a harsh judge. 
I know you to be one who doesn't rule right or fair. And that keeps him from moving forward and seeing what God really desires. And so again, our view of God affects our relationship with him. And that's why over these last seven weeks, we've taken a ton of time to explore God. If you remember, just the first week, seven weeks ago, we all walked in the church and it was this Sunday where we said, hey, put a bunch of questions in a basket and let's see what Pastor Dave thinks about some of these questions. And maybe for you, you came in and said, boy, this could go really well. And then again, I've heard some of his messages, this could go really bad too, right? It was a little bit of an anxious time, but it was a time for us as people to come forward and say, as we explore God, we need to have an honest relationship that is willing to come with big questions. We looked at the next week and we said, does life have a purpose? And we said, yes, that the Christian perspective and view has purpose and meaning in life. That Christianity not only gives us a purpose, but it gives us an identity, a value, and an agency. And so beautifully stated that our purpose has to be in something than that which can be taken from us. And with Christianity as our purpose, that can't be robbed from us. We looked at the second week that said, is there a God? And we said, Yes, there is a God, and he promises to be in his word, in his sacraments, the baptism and Holy Supper, and amongst his people. And while that is certainly true, and we should not neglect those things, we also see God at work in creation around us, in in the beauty of relationships, and in our desire for justice as people. And that it's not a question of that I live by science or by faith, but we all live lives of faith. It's a matter of where do we place our faith. The third week we said, well, why does God allow pain and suffering? And remember, the answer to that very complicated question is simply, I don't know. And we have to leave it there at times and stop offering theodicies explanations about the hidden God. There are some things that we will not know. We don't just stop there. We go to the hidden, not the hidden God, the revealed God. We go to the cross. And you remember that week we had the opportunity for people to bring forward names of people, circumstances that they've been to, big things that are happening in your life and in the lives of those that you love. We brought those to the cross. And that wasn't some magical, hey, never happened anymore. That was a moment to state again that we have to bring even our pain and suffering to the cross because that's exactly what our God has done for us. We looked at as well, is Christianity too narrow? And and we realized in that time that we talked about the broadness of 
of the invitation that grace is for everyone, but the way to God is through Jesus. And that becomes very controversial inside of our culture, inside of a world that loves to have multiple answers or say that all ways lead to God. But the Bible would say that that only comes through Jesus and that calls us as a people to have compassion and also hold on to truth as we do so. We looked at the question, is Jesus God? And we wrestled with this statement that he is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And because of his death and resurrection, we, the church, believe that he wasn't a liar and that he wasn't some lunatic, but because he rose again from the dead, we believe him to be Lord. And then last week, we looked at, is the Bible reliable? And in the longest message of them all, we looked at the historical accuracy of the Bible. We looked at to see that it is a historically reliable book compared to everything else. But also, inside of that historical accuracy, we discussed how the words that it brings us can be incredibly messy. Because sometimes the Bible will offend us, will call us out to do things that we don't necessarily like or want to hear, but inside those words is the plan of salvation that comes through Jesus. Each of these weeks has been an adventure in exploring God, and our hope has been to shape and view God in a new way, to better understand who he is, not from like, well, I want God to be this big, cuddly teddy bear, but, but according to what he says about himself and how he has revealed himself to the world. And so, I recognize that one message on a big question does not fully answer the deep questions that were asked. But my hope as the pastor of this church and as, as a community of believers that we would continue on in this journey to exploring God and who he is. So can I know him personally? Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly why we're here today. We know God personally because he, unlike any other God, has taken on flesh, comes into this world, dies on a cross and rises again for you and me and gives us an invitation to follow him. But to finish, I want to go back to baseball and cricket. Because what I've come to learn about these two things is that to know them and to explore them requires that I learn some lingo. 
It requires that I begin to understand what a kick and a pitch is and what a mid-on is. It requires some understanding for it to make sense to help me understand what it is really about. But, but what God desires is not for us just to know a bunch of information and facts about him. Instead, with these two sports, what I've come to learn is that it's so much more enjoyable to participate in, to see it actually happening, to be invited in on this journey, to not just know a bunch of information, but to participate in the joy of these two things. And so when I think of God and when I view God, I certainly personally find comfort in viewing him as a father, viewing him as, as a friend who is there, viewing him as, as a lover. And as strange as that sounds, the compassion that comes is beautiful and even viewing him as a judge, that's helpful for me to understand. But I want to offer one more metaphor that I've heard before that's helpful and has been helpful for me in my journey of exploring God. Because when I think of God, I think almost as if there is a song that's being played. And one that has been played since the beginning of creation. One that keeps going and going and going. And in this image that was helpful for me, that, that we're, we each have an instrument, a, a, a piece to play inside of that song that is happening and going on. It's a beautiful song that will continue on. The question is not whether you believe the song is playing or not. The question is, are you playing in tune with the song? The song that has been created. See, here at Trinity, what we believe is that we're called to look, live, and love more like Jesus and what that means is that Jesus is the one who came into this world and he played that song beautifully. He lived exactly how God would desire us to live. He loved others exactly how the song would require us to do. And he invites us in to join him. It's not a forced invitation it's, it's not something that is trying to be force-fed to you, but it is that very thing, an invitation to be with him. Reality is we can choose to hate that song, can choose to plug our ears and say, I don't even believe that there's something that's playing. But what I see in this image is that when we love when we cling to the truth about God, when we, 
show compassion and serve others. We are living as God has desired us to live. And that brings so much joy and freedom. But it also shows us a little bit more of what it looks like to explore God and be a part of this invitation that he has given us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are God who invites us in to this journey, invites us to join you in, in this mission. And God, oftentimes I think that we get lost in big questions or rather big metaphors that seem to not fit who you are. I pray, God, that as we come into the hard things of knowing you, in, in the times where it's hard to trust you in the midst of suffering and pain, and even when life is working perfectly, I pray, God, that we would have the courage to cling to you and to see that you are worth exploring, that you have been working before we were born and you will work after we go. And may we find so much hope in you. But God, may we also not just be a people who holds on to that beautiful gift, but instead views it as it is, just filled with so much joy, so much hope, and ultimately salvation that you desire to bring to all. May we be a, a community of people that would be so bold to share and bold to invite others to explore as we explore you as well. It's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.